Hello, friends. I hope you had a great back-to-school week at DSC's household. Besides all the horrible traffic, it's gotten really bad here in Miami. It's been all happiness. As you know, our oldest daughter has gotten both a car and a license, and with that has come this growing sense of freedom that she has received. And she's really happy and joyful because of that. But so are we. Beth and I were also very joyful that we don't have to spend hours of our day anymore driving kids across town. We're still doing some driving, but not as nearly as much as we were doing last year. We also sense a growing sense of freedom because every time that there is freedom, uh, there is joy and peace that come with it as well. Christianity is a faith that speaks of freedom. Christianity is a faith that has brought us liberation. Jesus, in the beginning of his ministry, he walks into a synagogue and he is giving a scroll of the book of Isaiah. And he opens that scroll. It's right there in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He says that one of the things that he has come to do, one of the things that the Spirit of God has anointed him to do is to proclaim freedom and to free the captives under the yoke of oppression. Christians are free people. That's the theme of the sermon today. We are free people. But here's an intriguing question that comes with that, because you know Christians that are miserable. How come there are Christians that are miserable if they have received this faith that has brought them freedom? That is the question that we're going to ask as we go into this portion of the book of Romans, we're going to read today from chapter 14. We're going to read verses 13 through 23. So if you have a Bible, would you follow along with me or just pay attention to the screen? The text will be there as well. This is what the Word of God says. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or, or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God, approved by men. So then uh, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubt is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is the word of the Lord. Going back to the initial question, why are there so many miserable Christians if the Christian faith is rooted in this idea of freedom? Why are some of us 
living miserable lives if the salvation that we have received is a salvation that has brought freedom into our lives. Uh, I, I believe the Apostle Paul explains here the reason for that. Number one, because uh, we have forgotten about the gift of freedom that we have received. And number two, we are not acknowledging the boundaries of our own freedom. So let's look at these two things today. First, of the gift of freedom. Let me explain a little bit to you the context of Romans 14. As you know, we've been going as a church through uh, the book of Romans, which is a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to this church in, in Rome. And up to this point, the Apostle Paul has been giving them a lot of deep theological concepts. He's been talking about uh, the idea of sin and uh, Christ's work, his salvation, and how necessary it is that we receive Christ's gift of salvation by faith. But now he begins to apply that teaching. And in chapter 14, he applies all of the teaching that he has already written of and about to a specific problem that was going on in the church in Rome. What is the specific problem? It's right there in the very first verse that we read, verse 13. There was judgment being passed between those who were part of the church to one another. They were judging one another. Why? Uh, the church in Rome, as you could imagine, it was the largest city of the world back in those days. It was the capital of the Roman Empire. Rome was a very diverse city. And because Rome was a very diverse city, that church was also a very diverse church. You had uh, you know, Jewish converts to Christianity that were part of that church. Uh, you had Gentile converts that were part of the church. You had highly educated people that were part of the church. You had blue-collar people that were part of the church. You had people from all walks of life and all ethnicities and of all classes they were part of the church in Rome. And what was happening was that as these people were beginning their journey as Christians, they uh, were obviously allowing their culture and their preferences to shape the faith that they had now received. And that's natural because, you know, African Christians... They worship Jesus differently than American Christians and South American Christians. They worship Jesus different than Asian Christians. There are different cultural elements that we bring in as we live out our faith because we all come from different backgrounds. We all have different cultures, and that is natural and normal. Now, the problem here was that these people, they were putting a burden on other brothers and sisters in Christ that was not necessarily a burden that was something that God requires in his word for our practical living. They were imposing their preferences and their own culture and their own story over the lives of others and requiring them to live in the same fashion, in the same way. So for instance, you had some Gentile converts, some people that had come to Christianity out of paganism, condemning other Christians that were coming out of paganism for eating food that was blessed for the idols of the Greco-Roman culture. And 
Obviously, the Bible gives no condemnation to that because that which the Lord sanctifies, he has made it clean. But they were bearing their own life stories as a burden, putting those burdens on the lives of those other believers that they were demanding that they stop eating those type of meats. They were saying, please don't eat That's the, the, those meats that have been in the market, blessed for the idols of our culture, because they remind me of my past life because of Christ, right? I've heard those comments before. Please don't put lights you know, in the church because that reminds me of my past life. I used to go into clubs and et cetera and et cetera. We understand your story and your culture experience and what that brings out to you. The problem is when you make a demand on somebody else. Likewise, there were Jewish converts that were imposing Jewish dietary laws on other Jewish converts and Gentile converts as well. It says, if you want to be a part of the people of God, you must eat like the people of God. You must respect and observe the laws of, of, of the sanitary laws of the Old Testament. You must celebrate the Jewish holy days. And they were putting that as a burden on one another. And whenever people did not live by or follow their advice or their perspective on things, they would pass judgment to one another. And what was happening as a result, the church was being divided. The church was being segmented into cliques and into groups. And the apostle Paul looks at that and he says, here's one way that you can apply all of the teaching that I have given you up to this point. Stop passing judgment on people. In fact, if you live your life passing judgment on people, requiring people to live by your own cultural standards and your own preferences, you are a weak brother in Christ. You hear what he's talking to here about weak brothers in Christ in the beginning of the chapter? That's exactly the people that he's referring to. These are people that have a very loose grip on the gospel, a loose understanding of the gospel. Those are weak Christians. We think that weak Christians are newborn Christians. No, no, no. We Christians are Christians that have a loose grip on the gospel. The apostle Paul is, is saying here that when we forget the basic truth of the gospel, which is the fact that our salvation has not come to us by our own performance, by our own works. God did not save us in exchange for a great performance, for keeping all of the rules. That Christianity is not a salvation that's based on do's and don'ts, but it's a salvation that's based on grace. Has nothing to do with us, nothing to do with do's and don'ts. It's about done, that which Christ has done for us. We have received Christ's righteousness on our behalf. And because of that, we have been freed from the burden of the law. See, if you forget that, you're going to create a lot of problems. Number one, you are going to become a miserable person because you are forfeiting the freedom that Jesus Christ has brought you and you are sliding back into man's rules and regulations. 
the reason why there are so many miserable Christians, like answering the question in the beginning of the sermon, is because they have not taken full possession of the work of Jesus Christ for them. They live as if that which Jesus Christ has done is not enough. They need to add something else. They need to pour some sauce into it. There's still ways that you need to fix things and, 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 and things that you must do and foods that you must abstain from and eat in order to make your salvation whole. And that's why there are so many miserable Christians. Uh, Steve Brown, who was a mentor of mine, he, he once wrote this. He said, uh, Jesus invited us into a dance. That's the relationship that we're invited to, that relationship of freedom. A dance is characterized by freedom. And we've turned this dance into a march of soldiers, always checking to see if we're doing it right and are in step and in line with the other soldiers. We know a dance would be much more fun, but we believe we must go through hell to get to heaven, so we keep on marching. Is your life like that, characterized by a march or more like a dance? Secondly, when we forget this basic truth of Christianity, not only do we make ourselves miserable, but we make other people miserable as well. When we put on people unnecessary burdens, un unnecessary requirements, we rob them of the joy of their salvation. That's what the Apostle Paul means here at the last part of, uh, the second part of verse 13, uh, when he refers to stumbling, stumbling blocks in the way of a brother or a sister in Christ. He says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, because that was happening, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. You know, people that impose their culture and their preferences on other people, they allow them to stumble in the faith. They put a barrier between these people and Jesus. Why? Because anything plus Jesus equals nothing. You cannot modify the Christian faith without losing it all together. And so let us not do that. Let us not be robbed of the joy of our salvation and the freedom that it brings, but let us not rob others of it as well. But here's a third consequence of what happens when we forget this basic truth of the gospel, that Jesus has come to bring us freedom, is that we make the church a miserable space to inhabit. How many of you have come from congregations, from communities that were very, very strict. And some of you carry deep wounds of spiritual abuse. Why? Because people went beyond the gospel. People added something else to the work of Jesus Christ. And instead of that being a, an experience of freedom for you, it has been an experience of bondage. We don't want our church to be a place where people feel miserable because cultures, different cultures, and preferences are added to the work of Jesus Christ. So where, where, do, we, where do we go from here? 
obviously, we don't want to destroy that which Christ has done. In verse, in verse t- 20, look, look at what the Apostle Paul says. The exhortation is, do not for the sake of food, or anything for that matter, right? Destroy the work of God. We don't want to destroy that which Jesus is building with our judgment on others that do not do things exactly like we do, that do not like things exactly how we like. So, number one, the encouragement is if, if you're doing that to people, if you're passing judgment to people, I'm going to say just like the Apostle Paul here, stop. Stop doing that. Stop measuring others by your own culture and preferences. Repent to God for doing that. That is wrong. That is undoing the work of Jesus in the body of Christ. This is a season where the church has been polarized and been pulled apart precisely because of that. We have made impositions that the gospel does not make on the lives of others. So stop doing that. But then secondly, I want to I charge you, like the Apostle Paul, to start dwelling in the gift of freedom that you have received from Jesus. One of my mentors used to say this, that Christians ought to live their lives with such freedom that they would cause uptight Christians to doubt their salvation. <laughs> That's right. Dwell in the freedom that you have received from Christ. And that leads us, obviously, to point two, because we have received this great freedom from Jesus, but yet our freedom cannot be exercised without boundaries. In fact, proper boundaries is what allows us to increase in freedom. So think about an eagle flying in the sky. Uh, that eagle is respecting the, the, the laws of physics, of aerodynamics, right? And the only reason why... Uh, that eagle is a picture of great freedom is precisely because it's not ignoring the laws of aerodynamics. And so in in the same way, we as Christians are called to exercise our freedom in the context of healthy boundaries because as you exercise your freedom in the context of healthy boundaries, you grow and your notion and experience of freedom, which, which results, what I talked about, in joy and peace. The Apostle Paul talks about this too here. Look, look at what he says here in uh, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know, my, my, my daughter is now driving. She has this growing sense of freedom, but it comes with boundaries as well. We told her, hey, there's a time for you to, go home, you can't drive in the interstate, you have to stick to regular roads and streets, okay? Uh, There are some responsibilities that come with that freedom as well, like paying for your own gas and et cetera, right? There are some boundaries that are set in her context of freedom, and to the degree that she lives by those boundaries, she will have a growing sense of freedom because Beth and I, we will expand the boundaries. And it's the same thing in the Christian faith as well. So what are the boundaries of our freedom? So the Apostle Paul says, yes, live freely. Jesus has completely set you free from any requirement of the law. 
But what are the boundaries for that freedom? There, there are four here that I want to share with you. I think they're very clear here in this passage. Number one, live your freedom, live free, but make sure that your freedom doesn't go against Scripture. Make sure that your freedom doesn't go against Scripture. And, and, and I want to read again verse 14. Look at what he says in verse 14. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. What is he talking about here? He says there's a lot of room in the Bible, right, for interpretation. There, the Bible live, leaves a lot of space for wisdom. Not all things are equally clear in the Scripture. We are Presbyterians. We have a confession of faith that says that very clearly, that not all things in the Bible are equally clear. There are things that are absolutely clear. What? Number one, that we are sinners. That's absolutely clear in the Bible. Uh, number two, that we need Jesus. <laughs> number three, that uh, uh, Jesus is, has come to restore us and to restore all of broken creation, and that Jesus Christ has uh, an unbelievable future uh, where he will bring down one day the new heavens and new earth. That's very clear in the scripture. It's very clear in the scripture, such as don't lie and don't steal and don't commit adultery. There are things in the Bible that are absolutely clear, starting with your salvation and then some elements and aspects of Christian living and Christian ethics. Absolutely clear. But there are things in the Bible that are not necessarily clear. For instance, who to vote for? What political party to adopt? To be vaccinated or not vaccinated, that's not clear in the Bible. To drink alcohol or not drink alcohol. To smoke, there's no verse in the Bible that says, do not smoke, and if you do, you are gonna go to hell. There's no verse in the Bible that says that. Tattoos. That's another one. It's not in the Bible. You know, I don't know if you've noticed this, but, you know, the Bible is divided into genres. You have historical books. You have the books of the law, which are the first five books of the Bible. You have the epistles. These are letters that the Apostle Paul and the other apostles wrote to the early church. You have the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You have the prophets. And then you have wisdom literature, like the books of Proverbs, like the book of Ecclesiastes, which, by the way, we will study right after this series, uh, like, the, like Psalms, okay? These are, like the book of Job, those are wisdom books. And if you were to put all these genres next to one another, you would notice that the Bible has more content on wisdom than in any other genre. Think about that. There's a lot of space in there for us to decide how to live, what to do. There's a lot of room in there, and it's not clear. And therefore, we must be respectable towards others when they have a slightly different view or opinion about a particular aspect or habit or practice in life that we don't necessarily agree with. The Bible leaves room for us to see things differently, for us to do things differently on certain matters of the Christian life. 
That's why St. Augustine, you know, uh, the, the church father, used to say that in the essentials, we must practice unity. In the non-essentials, we must practice liberty, give liberty to one another. And in um, all things, I almost forgot that part, in all things, we must be charitable to one another, charity. So in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, all things, charity. So it can't go against Scripture. But then secondly, here's another boundary of our freedom. It can't go against our conscience. And that's the meaning of verse 23 and uh, verse 17, which we read. So you go to verse 23. This is what the Apostle Paul says. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because he is eating. His eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, Now think about this. He is talking here about somebody that is eating something that he is not completely convinced whether he should be doing that or not, okay? So he has doubts. He is eating with doubts. He is not convinced. He feels bad. He feels that he is violating his conscience by doing that. And the Apostle Paul is saying, if doing something violates your conscience, and the reason why you're doing it is because others are imposing that over you, and obviously there is no ultimate clarity in the Bible regarding that specific subject matter, then you should not eat at all because God has given you a conscience and the Spirit of God is at work inside of you and you should be sensitive to that which God is trying to teach you of what God is doing in your life as well. It is not only wrong for you to do something that goes against your conscience, but it is even worse for you to force somebody to do something that is against their conscience. And let me tell you, the church is filled with both things. So God has given you a conscience. If it doesn't go against Scripture, listen to your conscience. Martin Luther, the, the German uh, reformer, he, he used to talk about that. He, he used to say that the Christian consciousness was the highest thing beneath the authority of Scripture. And when he was called, therefore, in the Diet of Worms to recant his Protestant faith by the Pope at the threat of being excommunicated by the Holy Church, the Holy Catholic Church, this is what he says. He says, I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. Some of you need to step into that space and have that type of conviction. Uh, Thirdly, here's a third boundary of our freedom. It must not keep us from growing. Now I want to highlight here verse 19. So go with me to verse 19. The Apostle Paul says, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. He's saying that to be in a community as diverse as it was in the church of Rome, as diverse as it is here in Crossbridge, it is actually a good thing. Why? Because it's only in an environment where people see things slightly different from you that you're able to grow. 
homogeneous communities hinder growth. And that's, that's one of the things that's kind of like been a, a pain point for me during this season is in this polarization, you have all these Christians that have said to themselves, I want to go to a church where everybody is exactly like me. I don't think that's a healthy thing. The only way that you're going to be stretched, the only way that you are going to be able to grow in the faith is if you are in an environment, you are part of a community where there are people that are different from you. And so I would advise you, as the Apostle Paul is saying here, is sit down with people that see things differently from you, that do things differently from you, that you are you know, at the surface level, scandalized by some of their habits and ask questions. Say, why do you do that? How, how do you see scripture supporting that which you do? And, you know, and, and listen. <laughs> don't, don't, don't try to debate or give, an- just listen. Try to understand the other side. If you do that, two things will happen, okay? Number one, you will grow. You will have a broader view and understanding of how others see things, you may actually change your points of view. You may actually begin to do certain things or stop doing certain things. It may affect your behavior for the better. There are things I think (laughs) in your life right now that you're not delighting in because you've been closed-minded. You've been missing out on certain things, certain ideas certain things that the Lord has made available to us that you can exercise in the context of your freedom. But even if you don't change, here's the second thing that will happen. Even if you don't, don't change, even if, 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 if nothing uh, is, becomes different from you after having those relationships and those conversations, you will at least become very stronger in your convictions. So make sure that uh, it doesn't keep you from growing. Keep an open mind. Allow yourself to be taught. Enter into a humble space and have a generous and humble posture. But then lastly, here's the last boundary of our freedom, that it must not come before love. And so much of this passage that we read today out of Romans chapter 14 has to do with love. Love is the underpinning of the Christian community. From verse 15 all the way to the end of the passage, he is, he is couching all of his arguments in, in this idea that uh, we are a community that's been built and constructed on love. Look at what he says in verse 15. I'm just going to read uh, a, a, few, a few words here. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love so he's saying, like, walk in love. You, you want to be walking in love. You don't want to keep anything from, from, from keeping you from walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ has died. What is the Apostle Paul saying here to us? He is reminding us that love is the basis for our freedom. On the cross, what happened? Jesus gave up his freedom for our sakes on the cross. And unless Jesus had given up his freedom for our sakes on the cross, he is between two criminals. He dies the death of a criminal. He's condemned before that as a criminal. He loses his his freedom. 
And had he not done that, we would still be in spiritual bondage. In order for the prophecy of Isaiah 61 to be fulfilled in the life of Jesus, the proclamation of freedom to those who are captive, and actually setting the captives free, Jesus had to put our interest ahead of his own. And it's because of that that Christians ought to be compelled to put love for the brother and the sister ahead of their own. See, if you have experienced this love of God in your life, if you have finally realized that your freedom came at a great cost to Jesus, I know that there are things in in, in your life, there are things in my life that I like to do, there are things that I like to say, but I don't want to use my habits or my words or I don't want to impose my culture in a way that hinders me from growing into a close relationship, an even closer and intimate relationship to another brother or sister in Christ. See, when, when you and I put others ahead of our own freedom, we can be saying, nah, I don't care. I, I'm going to drink this right here in front of them. When you do that, you are ceasing to identify yourself with Jesus. But when you do, when you're humble, when you put the needs and others ahead even of your own freedom as Jesus has done for you, you're able to identify with Christ. It's hard. It's painful, especially when you know that what you think or believe or your view about a specific thing or, or something that you do is, is, is not wrong and your conscience is perfectly clear and it's not going against Scripture to give that up for the sake of a brother. It hurts. It's, it hurts. But you, then you identify with Christ as you're doing that. But not only that, you're able to demonstrate Christ's substitutionary love for somebody else. And when we're able to identify with Christ, when our lives in this community models the life of Jesus, when we identify with Jesus, when we step into that sacred space of renouncing ourselves for the sake of others, and we sacrifice even some of our freedoms for the sake of others, we're helping to shape that community that we all long to belong. I I believe that Crossbridge is a community like that, that affords people freedom on that which is non-essential. And and to that, Crossbridge, I want to encourage you to keep doing that, keep being that way. We have people here from all sorts of different walks of life, economic classes, different races. We're a very diverse church. People that vote in both sides of the aisle. We We have everybody here at Crossbridge. And I want to encourage you to maintain this gospel culture in our church, it's healthy for you. If you thought about, oh, I'm, 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 I'm going to leave, I want to go to a place where everybody looks like me, that's not good. We need you here because it adds colors, because it adds value to our community. And so I want to encourage you, Crossbridge, to keep doing that way. And in the areas of your life, you that, is, that you are listening to this sermon today, in the areas of your life, 
where you haven't exercised these boundaries, that you would ask the Holy Spirit today to help you set these boundaries as you exercise your freedom so that the body of Christ is built. Will you pray that with me today? Let's pray this prayer. Father, we invite your Holy Spirit into our lives, into the life of this church. And may your Holy Spirit, Father, remind us of the work of Jesus who forfeit his freedom for our sakes, who put our own interest ahead of his. And as a result, Father, we have been set free. And so, Father, allow us to be in touch with this truth and, and this reality. And I pray that you would vest us with humility, that we would identify with you in that, and we would usher in your substitutionary love into the lives of others, into the life of the world around us. And as a result of that, Father, I pray that you would continue to increase those who are part of this church body. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. May God bless you today.